As I mentioned at the beginning, today is Good Shepherd Sunday, and so I want to spend a little bit of time looking at John chapter 10, the reading we just heard, starting at verse 22, to speak to you a little bit about why this image of Jesus as the shepherd is something so important for us to understand, why it's an abiding uh, and, and wonderful image that God gives us. But I want to do that by giving uh, sort of three focuses or foci. First is to ask, how is it that we know that Jesus is the good shepherd? Somebody who's trustworthy that we can call Lord. Secondly, the comfort that comes with being one of Jesus' sheep. And then thirdly, the challenge of being a member of Jesus' flock. So first of all, what do I mean by saying, how do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd? How do we know he's the Messiah and the Lord? Honestly, that's a really good question. And it's a question that our passage starts off by asking because Jesus is walking around the temple in Jerusalem and we find that as he's uh, going through the Feast of Dedication, which, by the way, is we most of us know that as Hanukkah. So it's during the winter season. Uh, so it's a celebration of how God rescues and restores the temple after it had been defiled. Jesus is walking around and while he's there, he's accosted by religious leaders by Pharisees who gather around Jesus and demand an answer from Jesus because Jesus has been making great claims about himself. He says, for example, at the end of this passage, I and the Father are one. And right afterwards, they grab up stones because they want to throw them at him and stone him and kill him. They're asking Jesus, well, how do we know you're the Messiah? Why don't you just tell us plainly, straight, and make it clear to us? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. How do we know Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know he's the good shepherd? How do we know that he's somebody that's worth trusting? But this is what Jesus says, and this is what I want to focus on as my first point. He says this, he says, um, Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe, verse 25. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Here's an interesting response that Jesus gives. He says, my works show who I am. That's all clear, but you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now that seems on the face of it, though, a little challenging. Jesus comes and the people say to him, why should we believe in you? Why should we believe in you? And Jesus says, you do not believe in me because you're not one of my believers. That sounds like a bit of a circular argument, isn't it? What are Jesus' sheep? They're people who believe in him. Do you remember in those great Winnie the Pooh stories that uh, Tigger, when when you first meet a Tigger, uh, a Tigger is asked, like, what's a Tigger? And he says, you know the most wonderful thing about Tiggers? Is that Tiggers are wonderful things. Well, thanks, that doesn't illuminate very much. Well, what is it that Jesus is saying? You don't believe in me because you're not one of my sheep, one of my believing, uh, believing sheep? I think one of the most important things for us to do is that when Jesus speaks about something that has happened in the past, that we actually go back there and look, what is Jesus saying when he says, my works testify? He doesn't just say, I'm saying I'm the Messiah and gives them an argument. Instead, he points, he says, the works that I do, or in other words, the actions that I do, in my Father's name testify to me. What's he talking about? You know, one of the things that's important to know when you're reading the Bible is to remember that the chapter headings we have and the verse numbers Those all come in the Middle Ages. They weren't there originally when the Bible authors wrote it. And so sometimes we think, well, chapter 9 ends and now there's some new theme. In fact, between chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's an ongoing story. Because in chapter 9, Jesus does certain things, some incredible things. He heals a man who is blind. 
And then chapter 10 is when Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees who criticized Jesus for his act of healing on the Sabbath. So understand what Jesus is saying. It's important to go back one chapter and look at what Jesus is talking about when he says, my works testify. And that although my works testify, you don't believe. Because what Jesus, I think, is saying is to say, it's not enough. To, uh, you don't come to trust in me because you see things or because you believe intellectually that something has happened. You come when you to trust in me and believe in me as the good shepherd and the Messiah once you listen to my voice and you follow me. And you get an understanding of who I am that you can get in no other way. Let's look back at, at, at chapter 9 and what it is that Jesus is talking about. In chapter 9, we find that he's walking along and then he sees a man who's blind. And he has a discussion with the disciples about why is this guy blind? And Jesus sort of ignores their questions. Instead, he heals him. Jesus takes a little bit of mud and places it on the man's eyes. And he says, go off uh, and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does. And when he washes his face, miraculously, he can see for the first time in his life. Naturally enough, this man is pretty excited, right? He has to tell everybody. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, hear about this. And they start questioning him and saying, come to the synagogue, we want to question you about what happened. And so they do. They question him and say, tell us what happened. Then he says it. And then they say, maybe you're faking it. And so they bring his parents in. And his parents are asked, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. As far as you know, he was blind until just yesterday. And here he is to see. We don't know what happened. We just know he once was blind and now he sees. This man sees. He testifies clearly. The Pharisees are given evidence. They see exactly what everybody around them sees, what the disciples see. But Jesus notes that instead of them coming to belief because they've seen a miraculous and wonderful thing God has done, they harden their hearts and refuse to trust in Jesus. In fact, instead of celebrating the great thing God has done in this man's life, they kick him out of the synagogue. They tell him he is born in his sin and they refuse to have anything to do with the man. Jesus here is speaking to Pharisees who have rejected a man that God has done something great in. And they have seen the very same works that the disciples saw. And instead of being convinced, they continue to reject Jesus and want to stone him. What's the difference? The difference is when the disciples and when this blind man see something that Jesus has done, instead of them simply saying, I've seen it, they start coming to say, I'm willing to put my trust in this person who has done a great thing. And when they put their trust in him, they find that this shepherd is, in fact, trustworthy. Now, that's a really difficult thing for us to get our minds around, because as Christians, of course, there are many things we're called upon to believe. We say the creed each Sunday. We believe in God, the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit. We believe these things. And, of course, in our baptism, we, we say that uh, we believe these things and we'll follow certain tenets and we have certain ways of talking about God. But there's a tremendous temptation for people to say, I have come to be a member of Jesus's flock. I am a sheep who believes in Jesus because I agree to these certain things. Jesus rose from the dead and I've, I've agreed to these certain things. But these disciples have seen certain things. In fact, James in his letter says that even the demons believe in God, but they shudder. They believe in their heads, but they don't actually trust. You come to realize somebody is trustworthy not just because you agree to certain arguments about them, but because you've put your trust in them and in times of difficulty you've found them to be faithful. 
You know, today is Mother's Day, and so, of course, there's lots of ways we can praise our mothers, and I hope that your kids are going to be good to you and maybe phone you from time to time, but especially today. When you, when you think about when a person is considering, you know, they're getting married and thinking about raising kids, and I often hear this. People will say, man, this world is such a mess, and should I bring children into this world? Or you hear about terrible stories of prodigal sons and daughters who break your heart. Or you hear about health problems and, and know that there are children there in Chio where, where parents are weeping by the bedside because this child they've just delivered is a child who has got serious challenges with their health. And so oftentimes I think every young couple, when they're thinking about children, asks the same question. Is it worth it? Should I do this? Will I rise to the challenge? What if uh, this child is not all I hope he or she will be? You know how you come to know whether it's worth it? By actually doing it. Every time a mother has a little child growing inside of her womb, what is it that she's asked to do? She's not asked to say, I know everything that's going to happen. She's simply asked to say, I'm going to take a step out in faith and say, I will devote myself to this little one. And I don't know what this road will be. I don't know where it's going to take me. But I will come to understand the value of this way of life only by living it. And there's no other way of coming to trust that this way of life is a good one. It's the same thing when you get married. I mean, you ask a person, you leave yourself tremendously vulnerable because your heart can be ripped apart. But you only ever know that feeling of being loved, that sense that you can trust. And you place your heart in another person's hands and say, please take care of it and find that they do. When Jesus says that only my sheep, you don't believe because you're not a member of, or you're not one of my sheep. I believe it's because Jesus says that the characteristics of sheep are not that they've sat in a classroom and agreed with what Jesus has taught. What's the characteristic Jesus says is true of sheep, the people who come to believe in him? He says this. He says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. The characteristic of the sheep is that they hear Jesus' voice and they follow him. Again and again, we find throughout the scriptures when people come to Jesus and they'll say, do some mighty work or answer me some question. What does Jesus respond? His ultimate response is, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's through following Jesus you find that he's trustworthy. And you know, one of the most amazing things that we look at in our world today amongst the many horrors that exist is how often it is that people cling to Christ in the midst of the challenges that life brings them. You know, you just read a few weeks ago about terrible bombings in Sri Lanka where Christians are persecuted on a regular basis. And sadly, although this makes the headlines, what doesn't make the headlines is Christians throughout Egypt, throughout the Middle East, through Pakistan, China, parts of Africa. So many places, Christians face daily persecution from government, from neighbors. You're taking your life in your hands when you walk to church in the morning sometimes. What is the testimony they give? They say, why is it that these people who could easily make their lives better by renouncing Jesus, they hold on to him? And they hold on to him because they have tasted and they have seen the goodness of Jesus. That in small times, Jesus has been faithful to them and trustworthy. And so even when their lives are threatened, they refuse to give up their faith in him because again and again, when they have taken the risk and stepped out to trust in Jesus, Jesus has delivered for them. And for us, there's no other way of knowing Jesus' goodness unless we step out in faith and say, look, Jesus, you are telling me something that is hard to do. You are asking me to do something that I don't want to do. But I'm not simply going to sit back and say, Jesus, you're right, and do nothing. But instead, I'm going to say, I've heard your voice, Jesus, and I'm going to call 
are going to respond to that call. As we're sitting here today and sometimes struggling with our faith, I'd like to suggest to you that the greatest way that your faith can grow is by taking that step that is difficult in response to what Jesus is asking you to do. And sometimes it's tough. If you're in Sri Lanka, that step that Jesus is asking you to do is to brush off the debris, to brush off the grief that you're holding it and go to church the next Sunday, even though you know you're taking your life in your hands. Most of us, thankfully, don't have that massive leap in our Western world of safety the way that they do. But he asks us many things that are hard and require faith. He asks us to show kindness to the neighbor who lives next to us that is not easy to love. To forgive the co-worker who regularly lets you down. To instead of bless, or instead of cursing that office manager who makes your life difficult, to bless them. To let go of the grudge that you've been holding on to. These are all things that are part of what it means to follow Christ, but each time we do this, it is not that we're earning God's favor, instead we're stepping out in faith and saying, Jesus, you say to do this, and so I'm going to trust that what you have told me is right, and I will place my life in your hands. And you will find that as you do that again, And again and again, your faith grows because again and again and again, the good shepherd shows himself to be trustworthy and worthy of everything we place in his hands. So that's the first thing. We know who Jesus is and we know him to be the good shepherd only through experiencing, following him and finding that he delivers on what he promises. And he truly does protect and care for us. But here's the second thing I wanted to talk about. It is the experience of comfort in becoming a sheep, and acknowledging yourself as a sheep in Jesus' flock. What do I mean by that? You know, I just talked a little bit uh, in just a moment ago. I just finished talking about how Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone to do things that are difficult, says, come and trust me, and that's the only way I really come to a deep faith in you. What's incredibly encouraging, though, is that Jesus is not uh, the, the drill sergeant who says, these are the rules, follow them. I mean, one of the great challenges we have sometimes when we look at those great examples of faith of Christians in Sri Lanka or or Jean Vanier just passed away a few days ago, one of the great living saints who's now passed away who decided I'm going to live with developmentally disabled people because they are made in God's image and you as a world don't value them, but I will. And so I will not just put you in an institution, I will live with you, I will eat with you, I will pray with you, I will care for you. And you look at that and you think, well, that's the standard God gives, my goodness, How am I ever going to do this? The good shepherd says, follow me and be Jean Vanier. Follow me and be the martyrs who die in Sri Lanka or Egypt. Of course, these are challenging things. But you know what's most encouraging about this passage is that Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the lawgiver, I'm the good shepherd who lays down the law. Instead, he says, I am the good shepherd and I call my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. Do you know what's true about a voice? A voice is a highly personal thing. You know, we talk again about, I'm going to go on about mothers a bit, but one of the things that we know statistically and scientifically is children recognize their mother's voice right out of the womb because they've been hearing their mother's voice while they've been carried inside their mother for those many months while they're developing, where God is knitting them together in in their mother's inmost parts. They come out hearing their mother's voice, and and, and that mother's voice is a soothing sound to a a little baby, even though that baby knows almost nothing. A voice. It's a highly individual thing. And again and again, Jesus, when he talks about himself as a shepherd, he doesn't talk about the general shepherd calling random sheep. Instead, again and again in his stories, talks about a shepherd who knows his sheep 
and he calls each of them by name. Luke 15 tells us that great story, a series of stories. But Luke 15 begins with the story of Jesus who says, after he's been criticized by Pharisees for eating with tax collectors and sinners and undesirables, he says, which one of you, if you had 99 sheep and one went off wandering, wouldn't leave them on the, the, the side of the hill and take them? And when that, that shepherd goes off, he finds that sheep, he puts it on its shoulders and he rejoices greatly. That one sheep matters so much to that shepherd that he will go to great lengths to find that sheep. And not only that, he doesn't spank the sheep and say, naughty, naughty sheep. What does he do? He celebrates and rejoices. He follows up that story with the lost coin. A woman loses a coin and she combs through her whole house until she finds it in that great story of the prodigal son. These are all connected, Jesus says, just like that son who wandered off and embarrassed his father and shamed the household in a thousand ways. The father scans the horizon because that son matters so much to him. When God calls us, when Jesus calls us and says, come and be my sheep, he calls us by name and he calls us in ways that he knows are right for us. You know, sometimes, yes, of course, he calls us out of our comfort zone, but I think what Jesus does, though, when he calls us to difficult things is that he doesn't say, stop being you. When he says, deny yourself, he's talking about denying those, the, that, that willpower that says, I want my way and no other way. Instead, he's calling you to be even more of the you that God made you to be. Jesus knows what you're capable of. I do not believe God is calling me to be Jean Vanier. Maybe he's calling him to show more care for the handicapped. It's one of the reasons we have Buddy Club is the opportunity to do that. And thankfully, uh, I'm glad he's not called me to live in Sri Lanka and to suffer a literal death threat. What he does call me to is to be a better father, to be a better pastor, to be a mini shepherd who serves in Jesus's name and tries to, to show this world and to show this flock what Christ is really like. We are often afraid of putting our, ourselves in Jesus' hands because we're afraid of what he'll do with us because we've often seen bad shepherds. But Jesus says, trust me, because when you place your life in my hands, I don't call for random general life. I call for your life. And he's challenging me and you as individuals to come and follow him because he loves us each and calls us each by name. When Jesus calls you, he doesn't make just a general call. He calls you, and that's a tremendous comfort because it says this one who knows me through and through and who made me will never call me to something that is not right for me and will never call me to something without equipping me. Here's the last thing that I wanted to mention, though, and it's a particular challenge for us in the modern world in the West, and that is that Jesus calls us as a good shepherd to be members of his flock. And that seems like an obvious thing. That's what sheep do. And yet at the same time, we live in a society today that does not value community very much. What do we like to do with our spare time? Scroll around on Facebook or on Twitter. We have communities that, frankly, are not very deep. How many people on Facebook who like your posts or do whatever are people you could call up if your basement floods and say, come and help me? Most people, I think, know that they have 300 Facebook friends and maybe two of them that they could actually call. How many of us don't know our neighbors very well? And how many of us sit in the pew, maybe not even knowing the person that we sit next to each Sunday? One of the great things that Jesus gives to us when he says, put aside your individualism and come and join a congregation, be part of a flock, is that he says, here is a primary way that I come to you, through the ministry of your brothers and sisters that you sit next to. 
Jesus makes amazing promises when he is in the upper room and, and he's telling the disciples about what's about to happen, these horrors of Jesus being tortured and executed and how they'll all be scattered. He also gives them something to remember him by, an act of remembrance. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. A special promise attached to simple things like bread and wine that when you gather and you receive these things in faith, I'm going to be right there. Jesus talks about prayer and says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. The scriptures tell us that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. God makes heavy promises of saying, look, when you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ, I am there in a deep and powerful way. And that is deeply important because we as individuals struggle a lot. We have times of doubt, times where our faith is weak, times where we just can't make it on our own. Jesus calls us and he, he gives that story of the sheep that is found, but the sheep is not just given, here's a, here's a Bible and run off in your way. Instead, the sheep is brought back to the flock. Yes, he calls him personally, but he also says, I call you personally to be part of a community. But it's also so great because it's also the place where God calls us to grow. I'm sure it never happens in this church, but sometimes you can be disillusioned when you actually join a church community. One of the challenges of being part of a church community when it is not the place of thick community and not the deep place of love and not the place of faithfulness that you wish it to be that Jesus challenges you and asks, will you be the agent of change that makes it into that kind of thing? When people are not easily forgiving others, are you the one who's going to take that step and do it? When people hold on to small things that don't matter much, are you going to be the one who blinks and says, you know what, it's not that important, let's do it that way. And when that person who is lonely and drops off the radar and you don't see them on Sunday is not visited and nobody asks, are you going to be the one who starts doing that? God can do great things for small, through small people. God chooses people who are not able to do it on their own. And he chooses them because he knows that he can do great things through the very imperfect people he calls. Jesus calls us to join a flock so that we might be encouraged, but also calls us to join a flock so that we might be instruments in which God helps us to grow so that we can help others to grow in Christ. So what's our message here on Good Shepherd Sunday? It's a reminder that we come to know Jesus' trustworthiness as a leader and shepherd only when we step forward in faith and follow him when he calls us. Secondly, we learn that he knows each of us by name. He never calls us to what we're incapable of, but instead calls us to the things that are right for us. And lastly, he calls us to be part of a community so that we might be lifted up and built up when we are not strong, but also so that we might be strengthened to be the help to those who are weak and come through the doors looking for solace. Christ can use imperfect people like you and me and will use imperfect people like you and me. If we follow, listen to his voice, and do as he asks, to love the weak among us and to transform our community by allowing his grace to flow through us.